what Paul's talking about here in this passage is not that, that Timothy had made a confession of sin, uh, but rather that he uh, had made a confession of Jesus Christ. He confessed his faith in Christ. Uh, and that's the way that this, this term is used many times. Uh, some view the confession of Timothy here and other times in which it talks about calling upon us to confess Christ, such as Matthew chapter 10, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments, uh, to refer to not a single event, but rather to a, way, to a profession of life or the aspect of a testimony, because that's what the idea of confession points to, is the person is testifying to something, he's saying the same thing, and the idea here that you, you have a testimony of your life, so you live a certain way, it tells other people by the way that you live that you believe in Jesus. Uh, so there's a way in which our life confesses what our mouth would also say in the sense that we have faith in Christ. And I don't discount that. In fact, I think there are times in which we maybe need to view confession in a broader scale. We'll talk about that even in the lesson here. But I'm convinced that it's used in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where Paul says that Timothy made the good confession that he's referencing a single event. That what he's looking at is that there was a time in which Timothy stood up in the presence of others Uh, And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Or he made a confession uh, along those lines that acknowledged his faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the view of many of those who comment on these passages. Kaufman, Linsky, and others. Uh, Even John MacArthur says that that probably what what took place or what was referenced by Paul was the confession that Timothy made when he was baptized into Christ. That when he became a disciple or when he was baptized, that there was a confession. Many individuals arrive at that conclusion because historically there, there is evidence that there was a confessional formula, so to speak, or there were words of confession that were spoken by those who were baptized. But I arrive at that conclusion by looking at Acts chapter 8, that when that, in that case of conversion in the scripture itself, when the Ethiopian realized that he was under obligation to be baptized and he wanted to do it right then, and he asked Philip, can I do it? What hinders me? Uh, Philip's answer was nothing if you believe. And the Ethiopian made a confession uh, prior to his baptism that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Uh, and that's the, that, that's the very pattern that we would follow if someone wanted to be baptized. We would uh, give them the opportunity to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord uh, previous to their baptism. And many think, in fact I would suggest that most individuals who comment on this particular passage would come to that conclusion that that's that single event that Paul was referencing where Timothy had made the good confession. But I want to also acknowledge, look at this aspect of the terminology good confession because it's not just found one time in this text, it's actually found twice. That Paul mentions and references that Timothy had made the good confession before many witnesses. And then he says in verse 13, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. So he, he adjures Timothy to follow the commandment of God and to do what God has given him to do based upon the fact that God gives life to the Father and that Jesus Christ has made a confession or made the good confession before Pontius Pilate. And so he uses this terminology again. Well, what's Paul referencing here? I believe he's recounting that Jesus made a good confession in the time of his trial. Pontius Pilate is mentioned in the text, so that immediately takes our minds back to the time in which Jesus was on this earth and stood before Pontius Pilate and was tried and convicted and put uh, put to death. But when we remember those events, we go back and read them in the Gospel accounts, one thing that stands out to us is that Jesus didn't say a whole lot during his trial. Uh, There was not a lot of dialogue going on. In fact, when he appeared before Herod, he said absolutely nothing through that whole trial. There were a couple times when Jesus did speak, and even when he answered questions. 
But there's no particular passage that shows us that Jesus, someone said, or that Pilate said, are you who you say you are? Are you the Son of God? And that Jesus made a confession about, his, about Himself. But there are some passages that point to that. Uh, at least give us this a- aspect of what confession can mean in this respect. And we'll look at these. In John chapter 18, Jesus is talking to Pilate. Uh, and Pilate, of course, is concerned that Jesus is a king and maybe he's going to usurp authority. And he's, Pilate, I think, is struggling to understand the nature of Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are king. And Jesus has said, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, there is something Jesus absolutely affirms in his discussion with Pontius Pilate in that, in that account in John. And that is that he's the king of Israel. And that was what really was a question. Are you a king? And Jesus says, yes, I'm a king. You don't understand the nature of my kingdom. But I am a king and I came to this world for the very purpose of witnessing to the truth. I believe that Jesus not only says that he's a king... But he's presenting himself in the very language that John introduced Jesus in the very beginning of his gospel. That he is the word of God. That he came as the one who would reveal truth uh, to uh, to man. And he makes this confession uh, before this pagan king, this pagan procurator. uh, And he says, I am the king. The other passage is in Mark chapter 14. The way I understand about Mark's account here is that He's not before Pilate, he's before the high priest, previous to his time in which he was taken to Pilate. But notice the language. He remained, it says that Jesus remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now there's that question. Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now that's a confession, isn't it? It's certainly it's a confession that Jesus of himself that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, asking direct response to the question of the high priest, are you this person? Are you the Messiah? Jesus says, yes, I am. Now that got him a slap on the face, and the other individuals you see ridiculed him, uh, and they, they accused him of blasphemy. But the idea that Jesus made a confession is seen in those two events. Now the fact that Paul says it's before Pontius Pilate may simply be a time reference that this is the time in which Jesus has made this confession and we'll talk about why that's significant uh, as we go along here but certainly G- uh, Paul was saying that uh, Paul does affirm that Jesus beforehand had made the same type of confession that Timothy had made now that's part of the point isn't it why would Paul mention Jesus's confession in relationship to having just referenced Timothy's confession unless they were the same thing and they were Not exactly the same words, but what Timothy said, no doubt, most likely at his baptism, is the very thing that Jesus had said about himself when he was on trial. And in both cases, what Paul says this is, is this is the good confession. The word good there is the word kalos in the scriptures, which means good literally and morally, something as good as opposed to being bad. But it's also used to describe, in most cases, the aspect of something that is virtuous or valuable. It's a utilitarian good. So this confession is good, not only because what's being said is right and true, but because this 
Confession has profit to it, to those who make it. It has virtue to it, to those who make it. It's good in its use, or even its appearance, as the word would indicate. Now, that's interesting to think about in terms of if you go back to Jesus' making that confession as Paul references it here. What did that get him to make that confession? Where did it lead when he said, I am the, I am the Messiah? Well, it got him, as I mentioned, it got him persecuted. And ultimately, when Jesus made that confession, it led to his death. It cost him his death. But that may be part of the point Paul's making here. Is that you make this confession because Jesus made the confession before you. And you recognize that he made that confession before witnesses. So that you as well could make the same confession later on before witnesses. And it would be a good confession as well. Saying that another way is that I think is that Jesus made the confession and died so that I could make that confession and live. That it led to his death ultimately to, you see, providing for me what God only God could provide for me. And so there was the acting out of the implications of the confession that Jesus made about himself in the confession that Timothy made about who Jesus was. Ultimately that was in, in this text to be the motivation for serving God. Now you think about confessions in the New Testament. There are a number of times when people confess about Jesus. Peter made a confession in Matthew chapter 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You remember that event? Who do men say that I am? Well, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist, and Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, I believe, speaking for all the apostles, said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then what follows that is that Jesus says... You didn't get that on your own. That's been revealed to you by my Father. And it's upon this rock I will build my church. And I believe that the rock there is the truth that Peter just stated, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus, after Peter makes that confession, Jesus declares that he would build his church based upon that truth. Everything depended upon that truth. That confession was paramount to everything that Jesus was going to do, even to the point of historically building his church in Acts chapter 2. We look further back and we recognize that God made, himself made that confession even before Peter did. That when Jesus went to be baptized of John in the river of Jordan, that God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then God did it again at Jesus' transfiguration and says, This is my beloved Son, hear you Him. In Matthew chapter 17. So, several times there is this aspect that God says something and then man comes along and says the same thing again and that becomes the source of the blessings that God would provide. It becomes the, ground, the groundwork from which God would provide blessings to His people is if they confess or they say the same thing that God says. And God hasn't left it up to us to decide what that is we will say or what we will affirm. What we will acknowledge is what God has already acknowledged. Not only, you see, from heaven itself, but from Jesus' own lips. And that's, I believe, why Paul mentions Jesus' good confession before Pilate here in the connection with Timothy's confession, because they are connected. Now that having been established, if that's true, what would that imply? That when I stand up and I make my confession before men that I believe in Jesus Christ, or what is my confession based? Or what's the groundwork for the truthfulness or for the goodness of that confession? The fact that Jesus has already made it. And he's already stood by it. Now, there's, there's also 
And so I mentioned here what Harry Pickup Jr. says about this, which I found fascinating, and we'll try to connect this in at the end. When in, in comments about Paul's statement that, that Timothy had made the good confession, he says that Timothy's confession was his conscription to spiritual warfare. I think I know what conscription was. Is uh, I lived in the time when there was a, a, a draft in our country, and you got a letter in the mail that said, guess what, you're in the Army now. Um, I didn't get one of those, but I know some folks that did, and maybe you did. But the idea of conscription means that you're placed into service, that you stand before someone and you put your hand up and you vow that you will protect your country, that you will serve in that capacity. And what Brother Pickup is saying is that Paul references this in the context of waging the good fight of faith because that confession that Timothy made was the conscription into that service. That when he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or whatever words that he said to that effect, that he was saying, I will live by that, and I will die by that. That that truth is everything that matters. And the reason it matters in Timothy's confession is because it mattered when Jesus said it himself. But there are other times in which we, I think we understand confession in the Scriptures. Matthew chapter 10 is a passage that we reference many times. We talk about whether or not a person is required to confess Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, Whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now we often connect this verse to a single confession made at one's baptism. And I don't think that's a misuse of the passage. I think uh, many times in talking about what a person needs to do to be saved, I take him to this passage and say, the Jesus says you need to confess. If you don't confess, then he's going to deny you before your father. So you need to be willing to stand up and verbally say you believe in Jesus. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that it's with the mouth the confession is made unto salvation. But I'm also convinced that there is more to Jesus' statement than a single event confession or even that prescribed confession that would take place previous to baptism. What Jesus is saying is, I believe in this, is that confession can be viewed as an ongoing acknowledgement of Jesus' kingship, of Jesus' authority, and of my submission to His authority. It's an ongoing recognition that I am who I am and God is who He is. And if I confess, God confesses. If I deny, that God denies. And that's what Jesus is saying. There are several events, I believe, in the New Testament that point to the, the, the valuable element of confession, that make confession a good thing in the event at which it takes place. And I would just take a quick look at some of those. In John chapter 4... Remember the event of John chapter 4? Jesus is resting at the well near the town of Sychar in the region of Samaria. A woman comes to draw water. A Samaritan woman comes to draw water. And he engages her in a conversation. A conversation about first water, physical and spiritual, and then later on about her husband's and her own, uh, her own private life. And he tells her that I can give you water for which you will never thirst. And in verse 16, the woman says, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have said, Well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you truly spoke. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So the woman deduces from what Jesus has said, from this conversation, Jesus is an ordinary Jew, that he is a prophet. And he reveals to her, his true identity. In fact, this is one of the earliest occasions where Jesus comes out and says that he is the Messiah. 
She says, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. He will come, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I am who you are speaking to. I am He. So He tells her right out, I am the Messiah. He says it. Now what's her response? The woman then left her water pots, verse 28, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who hath told me all things that I've ever did. Could this be the Christ? You see, He said it, and now she's going to say it. She's going to say the same thing about Christ that he said about himself. It goes on to tell us that she goes into town. Now that's a town that no like that most likely was a town uh, where she was from, maybe where her all where those other ex-husbands lived. It may very well be uh, that she was a person who was looked down upon and maybe didn't have a good reputation in that town. The scriptures don't tell us, but certainly we recognize that for this Samaritan woman to go into a Samaritan town and to tell those folks there, particularly the men of the city, and say to them, I found a Jewish man who you need to come see, was risky business. But she did it anyway. And she told them, I have found the Messiah. They could have ignored her. They could have overlooked her. She could have just gone home and minded her own business. But in John chapter 4 verse 39, at the end of this account, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. That's what confession is all about. He told me everything that I ever did. She stuck to her story all the way through all of it. And at the end, the people say, we believed him because of what she said. Now, this confession, which I believe is a confession, was not rehearsed, it wasn't coerced. It was the fruit of her own conviction and without regard to the conviction of others or what other people thought about her, she went and she said the same thing that Jesus said about himself. And it produced fruit. In fact, Jesus announces that to his disciples when they come back. The fields are white unto harvest. This is a clear sign that there are people that are going to turn and follow me because of what this woman has done. John chapter 9, the confession of the formerly blind man. Jesus encounters a blind man in the streets of Jerusalem and he heals him. John chapter 9 verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made the clay with saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen him that he was blind said, is this not him who sat sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But then he said, it's me. I am he. Therefore they said to him, verse 10, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So he went and washed and received his sight. He confessed to those immediately that this was Jesus who had made him see again. Now beggars weren't, I suppose, the best of witnesses. They were social outcasts because most Jews believed that the person was born blind. There was something wrong with him. Even as Jesus' disciples indicated that there's something spiritually wrong with him. That he was a sinner. Jesus breaks through some of those social barriers there, not only here but other times, and he heals this man. And there's no mention of this man's previous faith in God, that he, that he was a follower of Jesus or that he had served God in that later on. But what happens later on when this man's miracle is brought forth is fascinating because what he does more than he does anything else is he confesses his faith in Jesus Christ. 
They brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. It was the Sabbath when Jesus had made the man the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees asked him again, How is it you received your sight? He said to them, He put clay on my eyes and I wash and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees, this man's not from God, talking about Jesus, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there is a division among them. And they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him who has opened your eyes? You see, what they're trying to do is discredit what he's saying. Well, that's what you're saying about what happened. But do you understand this couldn't have happened because Jesus is a sinner? Because this man Jesus doesn't keep the Sabbath. He couldn't be a man from God. Now, that dissuade him? The blind man. Did it dissuade him? They say, what do you say about him again? Let's ask you that question again. He says, he's a prophet. You see, first he said that he's just the one who gave me my sight. Now he says he's a prophet. And the circumstances of his healing put him right in the middle of this current controversy of who is Jesus. And when they ask him his opinion, at least three times, each time, this blind man says, I don't care what you think, I don't care what other people say. They bring in his parents, and they try to get his parents to discredit him. They intimidate him. And all of those tactics do not work. In verse nine, chapter 9, verse 25, he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know is though I was blind, now I see. Now that's a confession. That's a saying the same thing. That's showing, testifying to others who Jesus really is and what Jesus has really done. And so he restates his story. They question him again. And when they get to this, I think it's the fourth time, maybe at least the third time that they've talked to him about who Jesus is, and they say, well, Jesus, he, he, he's a sinner. He says, why is this a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, Jesus? Yet he opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, He hears Him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. You see, He opened my eyes. He's a prophet. He's from God. This blind man said it all, did he? They eventually threw him out of the synagogue because of this. And when all of this harassment is over, when everything has taken place, where they tried to discredit what he has said about Jesus, tried to get him to change his story and all of this, in chapter 35, it says there, Jesus heard that when they had cast him out and when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and is he who is talking with you? And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You see how this ends up? He travels this road of faith. God reveals to him who he is. Not only through the miracle, but Jesus says the same thing he'd said to others. Well, who is he? Well, Jesus says, I'm him. And he confesses. He says the same thing God says about himself. And he worships him. And then... Acts chapter 4. Real quickly, we'll look at this other event. It's probably the most familiar event of the aspect of confessing Jesus in the face of trouble that we know of in the New Testament. And that's Peter and John, the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 4. It says in John chapter 6, after many of Jesus' disciples walked away, Jesus turned to his apostles and said, Do you want me also to go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
So this is another one of those occasions when Peter, I believe speaking for the other apostles, stands up and says, we believe who you say you are. We believe you are the Messiah, that you are the Son of God. And then a few months later, after the inauguration of the Lord's church in Jerusalem, the rulers of the people, including the high priest, call Peter and John in and they say, you've got to stop preaching about Jesus. Don't teach in his name anymore. John, in Acts chapter 4, verse 17. Verse 19, Peter, said, Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Seen and heard from who? Seen and heard from Jesus. You see, Jesus spoke it. Now what's their job? It's to speak it back. It's to confess it or to say it again, what Jesus has said. And that's what Peter says in answer to this commandment of, that's given to them to not speak anymore. We have to speak what We've heard and what we've seen. And despite the persecution, even the threat of death, you see, Peter and the other apostles confessed to the world that they believed that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, that they believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Later on in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are released from prison and the Christians are gathered together, praying together, in verse 29, they pray, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. What they wanted was boldness to speak more. More opportunity to confess. I believe that there's some significance to this in the world and society in which we live. Sometimes we, uh, I think we shortchange what God would want us to do and maybe we overlook what our uh, what we're uh, looking forward to by thinking that we made a confession when we were baptized. I remember making that confession and that one-time event that fulfills this aspect of Matthew chapter 10 to confess Jesus or He will deny me. What we're facing may be very well akin to what they faced. Peter and John the Apostle and others didn't make a single confession at their baptism. Timothy didn't make a single confession at his baptism. He was called on over and over again. To confess, to say back to individuals in the face of great danger and persecution, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'll stand by Him. I'll trust in Him. He's who He says that He is. Now, if we've never been called upon to make that confession, in the circumstances, that may be a call for us to count our blessings. But it may also be a time for us to awaken to the fact that confession of Christ may be a very real event in the society in which we live. So what is confession? Well, confession is telling others that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you were baptized, maybe you did that as well at that time. Confession is telling others what Jesus has done for you. Have you ever done that? Like the Samaritan woman. Or you see others who were persecuted and what God was doing for them. Confession is telling others how you came to Jesus. It's telling others, you see, how I became a child of God and how God has blessed me. And Peter and the Apostles you see, spoke that over and over again. Now, what that means is, I believe, is that confession at its, at its most basic level and maybe its most practical level, that to confess Christ means to uphold a promise that I will never, no matter what, will I ever deny you. But that's what Matthew chapter 10 is pointing to. It's contrasting denying and confessing. If I'm confessing Christ, I'm not denying Him. If I'm denying Him, that He will deny me. And so what is confession? It's a pledge. It's a promise. It's a conscription to spiritual warfare. It's a pledge that says, I'm going to engage the enemy in the battle and I will not back off. 
And that's why Peter, or that's why Paul, references Timothy's good confession in this context. Jesus made the good confession before Pilate, and that was evidence he was going to see it through to the end. When Jesus said, I am who I am, said I am, he was not just giving Pilate information that he didn't have. He was saying in the context of what was going on, I'm not backing down from this. I'm on a course to give, give my life for the salvation of the world, and I am who I say I am, and I will follow it through. It was a conscription to, spiritual, to the spiritual warfare of Jesus against Satan and his enemies. And, Peter, and Paul understood that. So he referenced it when it came to Timothy and said, your confession that you made, your baptism, is the same thing as it was for Jesus. And so what you look back at what Jesus, what Jesus said when he did speak that, and say that he was the Son of God. He said, you will see the Son of Man coming in glory. No doubt about it. There's no wondering about it. You will see the Son of Man coming in his glory. Because Jesus had made the confession. Now, what I think that helps me to recognize is that confession is easier said than done. I remember when I stood before a group of disciples and decided to be baptized into Christ. The late John Clark took my confession before the group that were there and asked me if I believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And I said, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. One thing I can tell you about that, that was easy. There was nothing hard about that at all. It was easy. But there have been a lot of other times since that time when I was a young man when I made that confession when confessing Jesus Christ was not nearly so easy. When individuals were on a path to ridicule me, when I was put on the spot, when individuals, you see, were doing things that were wrong that I should have stood up and said something about, when there was the aspect of ridicule and persecution right there in my face, when being silent and saying nothing was the easier course than speaking up. But that's what Matthew chapter 10 is actually about, is it not? It's not just about that single event. It's the aspect that this is an ongoing process by which you will either confess me or you will deny me. You will either stand up or you will not stand up. And what encourages me is to recognize that there are so many who have gone before us that are related to us in the scriptures and the events of these scriptures, seemingly insignificant, obscure individuals who did not live high and mighty lives, who were defined by the fact that they were willing to confess Jesus Christ at the greatest cost. They were willing to tell individuals they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They were willing to tell individuals, even in the face of great persecution, that they would follow Jesus all the way, that He was who He says that He was. And that they were willing to tell individuals what Jesus had done for them and how Jesus had blessed them and that He was the only thing that they would ever put their trust in. And they gave their lives and no doubt watched others' lives be taken from them because of that. So that encourages me because if they could do it, I can do it. So confession to the one who truly believes is really not that hard. Oh, it's hard, but it's not really that hard. Because if you really believe, then you'll speak it. And that's what the apostles said. Uh, what could we do but say what we've seen and heard? And certainly when it comes down to understanding the most simplest aspect of confessing that I believe in Jesus Christ by telling someone else, how, uh, someone else how to become a Christian, certainly if I'm a Christian, I can do that. 
You know, sometimes we look at the aspect of evangelizing, doing and 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 doing that kind of work and getting people to become Christians. We think, well, that's just, I just can't do that. You know, the preacher might be able to do that, but I just don't know about about the Bible. I don't know a lot of scriptures. How can I lead somebody out of error and the truth? And I just leave that to somebody else. And there are some times in which it does take some discernment and difficult, I think, uh, study to bring someone out of error and to understand the truth for ourselves. But on the most basic level, if you're a Christian, you can tell somebody else how to become a Christian, can't you? You can give them the basics that you went through and that you understand. You can tell them what you believed. You can tell them, you see, what led you to the truth. You can tell them how you obeyed the Lord and the commandments that you obeyed and why you obeyed them. And that's confession. That's testimony. Because Jesus lives, He gives eternal life. Because Jesus confessed, He went all the way to the end. And because He did all of that, I can have the courage to stand up and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that I believe in Him and unwaveringly I will serve Him. Will you or have you made the good confession? Now understand this. If you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're baptized in water as a result of that faith, that confession will only be good. It will never be bad. Not only will you never regret it, but it will be good in the very sense of the word that it will do for you what it did for Timothy and others who made that confession. It will provide for you a pledge and a conscription to the spiritual warfare ultimately that allows you to lay hold on eternal life. It's that confession that will become in later time the very motivation for you to do the right thing rather than the wrong thing and make the sacrifice that you need to make and ultimately be blessed by God. It's a good confession also because it's absolutely true. And not only is it true, if you were to say it today, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you were to say that today, it would be true. But not only will it be true today, but it will always be true. There will never be a time when what you said before men will be wrong. Now, there's sometimes I stand up and I say something with all great confidence, and I find out later on it's wrong. You know, there's some folks that thought, some still do, I guess, that the earth was flat. (laughs) Take their life on that. It's not. There are things we could confess with great admiration and sincerity that later on we might have to retract. But this is not one of them. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe in Him. I will serve Him. You'll never have to retract that statement. It's good. Will you confess Him? Will you be baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins? We invite you to do that. Let's stand and sing.